This podcast is supported by Patreon. You can support it at patreon.com slash toadsanime to listen to the next episode before it releases. Alternatively, spend it on something more important like a vacuum cleaner with a bow function. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Toad on Games podcast. The only podcast in the world with some toads and some games and sometimes a combination of the two. Um, I don't think I've ever spoken about toads. What an interesting topic. Um, <laughs> anyway, with me today, I have Marina and Melos from uh, Analgesic Productions. I'm not even sure how to pronounce that. That's about right. Analgesic. There we go. Good enough. <laughs> um, do you want to say who you are and what you do? Sure. Hi, I'm Marina. Um, and uh, I do visual art, writing, and design for analgesic productions or games anodyne anodyne to even the ocean and uh i also do various other art uh stuff painting and comics and i don't know this and that <laughs> art stuff uh i'm melos i do the programming uh design music for business stuff for analgesic and recently some of the writing um and outside of game stuff, I don't know. I like to read books. <laughs> I guess books like are great. Games, yeah. Um, outside of game stuff, I'm a fairly uh, regular person, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Three fairly regular people. I should have called <laughs> that. That should be the name of this podcast episode. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Two fairly regular people. <laughs> Um, but obviously it is a, a huge honour to have you both on here. Um, I don't know how much people listen to this actually follow what I write, but um, obviously for, for, for The Mirror, uh, Anodyne 2, your game was my game of the year, um, yeah. which was completely unexpected because uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 came out that year. <laughs> um, and I grew up with Kingdom Hearts and had been looking forward to that game literally for about 15 years. Um, so it was a oh. huge shock wow. for me to not have that. Um, but yeah, yeah, it just like struck me in a huge way that game. Um, I, I, I think I randomly came across it on the sort of uh, upcoming release list on Steam. Thought it looked wow. interesting. Before it came out, wanted to make sure I went and played the first game first. So played the first game and then went through to Anodyne Two, and uh, yeah, bloody loved it. <laughs> Obviously, wow, that's um, lucky. Uh, Thank you, Steam. Yeah. Thanks, Steam. Uh, Doing this job for once. That's a really cool story. Yeah, usually, like, I feel like you hear about games from Twitter or whatnot, friends. Uh, so yeah. just that organic happenstance is a cool story. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I don't even get that happen that much anymore. Because, obviously, I'm so invested in the, uh, in the games industry and games community that to just come across a random game and go, oh, I like the look of that and play it. Doesn't happen that often for me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I recall just seeing it and I, I love low poly art and stuff. Like I love all that. Um, so I saw that and then watched the trailer and thought it looked pretty sweet. So yeah, I was so invested that I went back and played the first game before I popped on. So um, yeah, I was super into it. That's good. Um, cool. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I guess... I guess before I jump on to talking about Anodyne 2, like I, just on the first game, like that's a, that was a super interesting game. Um, it seems to have found... It, I, I mean, I noticed specifically with uh, Nitro Rad, and I think she says uh, to YouTubers that specifically glued to it, so much so that you put like, you, you gave them cameos in the sequel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, again, like... If I hadn't just come across your game, I imagine I would have seen it anyway because I follow both of both of those YouTubers. Um, I, I had she says on here once actually, um, so oh, cool. I would have come across it. Um, but uh, yeah, that was an incredibly interesting game um, for me. Uh, obviously, I liked the the cool post game feature thing. I think when when I see people talking about the first game, they often are talking about that tile moving feature oh, in the yeah. first game. <laughs> That's something a lot of people talk about. Cause it just I guess just because it, it amplifies how unique your games are really, that sort of feature, because I've never seen anything like that. 
yeah, like if I think about it as a player, it is pretty like surprising because the game does try to be pretty like coherent, I guess, as like a place to be in, and then letting you break that is pretty surprising. And it's, I think, I think people tend to focus on the swap being interesting, but I think if the game was only like the swap, it wouldn't have been as interesting. Like it's, it's, it, it's interesting because there's that whole game before it, I suppose. Mm. Yes, yeah. I'm glad it was just a post-game thing. Like if that was the game, like the core of the game, it would be an interesting experimental game. But I don't think I would have been as into it as I would. Uh, Otherwise, uh, just yeah. for context, I should, <laughs> should probably explain to people that haven't played these, although you definitely should. The first Anodyne game is like a 2D sort of puzzle uh, Zelda Link's Awakening kind of game. Um, but it's very unique with with a lot of its tone and uh, its atmosphere and stuff. Um, it's very, it's difficult to describe your games to people that haven't played them, <laughs> um, which is, a, which is a, a problem I've found a lot when I'm trying to talk about Anodyne 2 specifically because again it was my favorite game of the year <laughs> last year um so I talk about it a lot but I don't know how to describe it to people I'm like it's a it's a 3D PS1 era graphics game and it's exploration but also there's 2D bits and also the story is really yeah. cool and it's quite hard to describe but in the future people can just say oh this game's like Anodyne 2 and everyone will get it maybe <laughs> that's it yeah exactly uh, this reminds me of this uh, quote from Flannery O'Connor that I just retweeted on Twitter a while ago, where it's like, it says, when you can state the theme of a story, when you can separate it from the story itself, then you can be sure the story is not a very good one. The meaning of the story has to be embodied in it, has to be made concrete in it. Mm. And so I feel like, I don't know, it's kind of exciting the idea that... Uh, something could be hard to describe or at least there's potential there for it to be like, Oh, because the things that make it what it is are, are, are just what it is. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to describe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess we yeah, like, there's an elevator pitch, but it doesn't really capture the full. Yeah, exactly. Cause so much of it is just how the, shrinking evolves over the course of the game and is like constantly uh like put into new situations um but i guess if i pitched to someone i'd be like oh it's a you play as this character named nova who has to clean nano dust from inside of infected people and you explore a 3d world and shrink into them and explore these 2d mindscapes uh inside of their bodies and, but that's also like a massive simplification too. Yeah, that's that's the problem I have. Like that that for listeners that don't know about the game, that's a pretty good descriptor. So glad that's covered. But also like that really simplifies the uniqueness of it. Um, I think on your website you kind of describe yourself as as, as making experimental adventure games, which is, I mean, I think I once said to someone if I had to if I had to sort of point at a developer as an example of indie, <laughs> as an example of an indie developer and the sort of things that indie developers do with being very experimental and, and, and unique, I'd kind of point at, at you guys and the sort of stuff that you do. Um, because yeah, that is just like the best way to describe Anodyne 2 to be honest. It's just, it's very experimental and very unique in, in its approach to like, it's so um this is this is a terrible comparison to make um but i'll make it anyway um it's, it reminds you of near automata in how many different genres and art styles and ideas are in anodyne 2 but they're not just like thrown in and clumped in like it feels natural but i mean you have you have the 2d uh graphics you've got the the 3d ps1 era graphics you've got the zx spectrum -y parts you've got this isometric part um, you've got loads of different genres sort of mixed up in there, loads of different ideas. And um, yeah, it is just, it's just, that obviously makes it difficult to describe, but it also makes it unique and awesome. Oh yeah, we were actually, uh... wait Marina, did you play Nier Automata like around release before Anodyne 2 was being worked on? Uh, yeah, I, 
I, I'm pretty sure that we had played that yeah. during the development. Yeah. Because early or hmm, about halfway through the development, I played near the first near, and I was really like, it was really interesting to see how that was like near Automata, but a little bit more experimental almost. I liked it more than Automata actually, but like, yeah, I was pretty inspired by how there's just like a level that was probably unfinished so they just made it into like a kind of a visual novel sort of thing mm. and the different areas are different takes on different like genres of gameplay which is cool um which is sort of yeah and that's not quite what Nier Automata does but Nier Automata was like definitely thinking about the first Nier but that mixture of genres was pretty nice to see in a bigger budget game yeah, I mean, may- maybe maybe that comparison is why I love your game so much because Neo Automata is is pretty much my favorite ever game. So that that comparison is definitely a compliment. <laughs> Although I don't actually think the games are, are are similar; they don't play similarly or anything like that for for people listening. But um, but yeah, just in how it mixes lots of different ideas and concepts yeah. and art styles and stuff together is um, mm-hmm. is really cool. I like the camera. The camera work in Automata is really inspiring, and like not that many. Th- big budget games do creative stuff with the camera, which is weird because they totally have yeah. the money to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I like indie games in general, to be honest. Like I've always found that with, with indies, it's kind of them, they can afford to just make the games they want to make. Um, yeah. And just, and, and then just focus on marketing that afterwards, as opposed to big AAA, big budget games are having to make games that are easily marketable. Um, you know, if you presented the idea of Anodyne 2 and us saying about how it's difficult to describe if you presented that to Sony or something, I'm sure they'd be like, oh my goodness, how will we ever market this? Um, we actually, we got rejected by like three or four publishers for Anodyne 2 and... Oh, really? And then, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty like hard to sell business people on the game, which is understandable. I mean, actually, not not desirable, but it's like, well... You know, this isn't. It would be great. You know, I, w- I think it would be hilarious to go to like one of those big shows and have it on stage. But uh, I don't know if the medium's quite ready for that yet. <laughs> need need, need yeah. a few more games about killing dogs or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh yeah, I can't wait for Anodyne Three, Killing Dog Edition. <laughs> I think that's, make you think. That's where empathy comes from. Gonna... Is it? Yep. It's either a wife has to die or a dog. The theme of Anodyne 3 will be empathy. <laughs> <laughs> Dear. Um I, I, I can see sort of uh Annapurna Interactive like as the perfect sort of publisher for these kind of games. Um, yeah, yeah. I didn't actually pitch it to them, so Oh, <laughs> well, I, no, I did not. Um, I did not pitch it to them, but I think they would be receptive. I don't know why I didn't, but yeah, you know, I think I, I, I after a few, I was kind of like, oh, we should just self-publish it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, if I was looking for a publisher, I, they would be pretty high on my list. Yeah, yeah. It just seems to. It just seems to fit the mold. Like the, having played a lot of their recent games in the last few years, like it's just. I don't know how they're picking the kind of games they are, but it's just absolutely stellar stuff um just very unique awesome experiences um i just so, played if found uh earlier this afternoon it's really good mm. i very I only very recently finished serenola wild hearts but i thought it was wonderful um and yeah they're just really good at picking games for some reason they're very selective i imagine um yeah but yeah yeah they seem like the perfect fit for, for your kind of games to be honest just because it's something that they don't have and yeah um talking about the the music specifically in anodyne too by the way that's just is that complete that's just you right you're that's wholly you it's all me except for two songs which were by uh some friends um the song in the the starry night desert area was a friend and then the song in the uh secret post game area was another friend okay oh and then also in the the little fantasy world some of those are from the uh 
official Hamster Republic role-playing game creation engine community. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shale O'Reilly. <laughs> yeah, Shale O'Reilly. Oh, yeah, the, they're really nice. I actually reached out to Shale, and I was like, can I arrange these songs for our game? And they're like, yeah, sure. Um, um, but, yeah, the, cool. that, that, like, little fantasy world is inspired by this um, uh, RPG uh, engine community that I grew up with. Uh, the OHR RPGCE. Okay, cool, cool. Um, yeah, that that soundtrack is just um, and and likewise for the first game. To be honest, it's just divine. Like, other <laughs> um, than two soundtrack is probably one of my one of my favorite soundtracks. So it's it's um, it's interesting to hear that it was just like just you. Um, yeah, that that soundtrack is is gorgeous. Like, it's it's completely beautiful. Um very suiting for the game as well uh yeah i loved that i mean it was it was probably one of my favorite parts of the game um that music is just wonderful yeah thanks i'm very uh, like picky about game music so i like to write it myself yeah i mean i like hiring friends too um but then i like i give a lot of like direction and stuff but yeah i, I do have a very like strong desire to kind of help game music like make a comeback sort of i mean there's still like fun music and stuff but i feel like kind of with all the graphic requirements of some games composers don't have as much like wiggle room in terms of like messing around like near automata was a pretty good example of some like interesting stuff although i guess that was mostly like orchestral but like the first near had some cool music although that was like 2009 or 10 or something Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah, I, I don't know. I just like game music a lot, and it would be great to like. Or I guess I am already doing this, but I just want to keep making good game music for people to reference if other people want to be a composer or something. Just like being part of that history, yeah. For me, as a listener, I kind of try to 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 buy and and find the soundtracks to pretty much every game I play um, because I don't know, there's something about video game music that when I listen to it, I just completely remember the experience of playing that game. So for me, it's just a really cool way. It's just like a complete nostalgia trips um, and helps me to remember each game that I play. So I, I've still been listening to the soundtrack to Anodyne 2 quite frequently. And then I'm just sat there like, oh, like if it comes on, if it was, yeah. if it was on shuffle and a song comes on, I'm just like, oh, I'm just like, oh yeah. And I just like remember <laughs> the game. And I'm just like, oh, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> yeah, and there's yeah. something about... That's why, even if it's a game that I really love, like a survival horror game, and its music is just like uh, like tense or sort of atmospheric and stuff, which completely suits that genre, I still find it a bit of a shame because you can't really just sit and listen to that and be like, oh, yeah, or... Oh, that's memorable. <laughs> um, <laughs> um Whereas if I listen to sort of anodyne music or near music, then I, I'm completely, I'm sort of back to playing it. And I'll, you know, each song I'll kind of remember specific areas of the game and I'll kind of remember myself playing the game and I'll even remember where I was when I was playing it. And so for, for whatever reason, my memory is like very tied to music. Yeah. Like composers will say, or I don't know, I, I this might have been something I just made up, but like music and games has a very like monumentalizing effect and it's, so kind of something that uh, helps you form, like you're mentioning, it's kind of the one of the main anchor points for forming memories of a game. Mm-hmm. Um, just probably because of the way we associate music with like memories and certain time periods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why, yeah, um, and basically why kind of all the stuff you've mentioned is like definitely true. Until we get smell-o-vision games, and then that will be the main way that you experience game nostalgia. Oh, the smell of anodyne too. <laughs> we might might oh, have to hire a third person for that. Yeah. Oh, the head of head of head of smell. <laughs> no. Smell of Santoni. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Finally, a three-person team. Yeah. <laughs> Marina. Yeah, I can't think of anything really. <laughs> oh dear. Kind of going back to the sort of the graphical style. With the obviously the first game was strictly 2D, it's sort of this Game Boy-ish, like Zelda-ish thing. Um 
and then we move through to N092, and it has low-poly, like, early 3D PS1 era graphics, which I absolutely adore, and was what attracted me to the game in the first place. Um, don't know if I would have ended up finding it, if not for that. Is that a specific design choice? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a mix of a bunch of different kind of considerations uh, in terms of... It, it was... I think we had been making 2D games for a while and like had experienced certain design limitations in terms of what we were feeling like we were getting out of that. Um, and then also, like certainly for me, like I grew up with early 3D games. That's kind of like my formative um, like experience of games uh, was like mm-hmm. the PlayStation 1 era. And um, and then also, if you're going to start doing 3D, uh, it kind of like makes sense to do low poly. And honestly, I'll probably always do something kind of low poly unless I work on a mm. large team, because otherwise it's just like not practical time-wise. <laughs> yeah, there's kind of an idea, like a production methodology that I was... I, I haven't. I was meaning to write about it after the game came out, but like, I was calling it like economical, like lo-fi, where you really focus on how do you be efficient with the resources you have and like allocate those resources to the game's design in the best way. And part of that was, of course, doing lo-fi 3D, but that was also because, like, with the way 3D works, you can suggest a lot more like detail than there is just with like the placement of you know, some ground and some rocks that you might be able to reuse. But in the design space, sort of what happened is that, you know, we have all this experience of 2D, like Marina mentioned, and, you know, we know how to make, you know, a fun little 2D dungeon thing. And so we were like, well, if we try to do that in 3D, there's all this other stuff to do and to learn and to make. And so if we're going to do a 3D game, it makes sense to have parts of it be in 2D somehow. Um, and there's an exact order to like how we figured that all out, and I can't remember it, but part of it was like, oh, you know, exploring a big space and getting from one point to another, that's a little bit easier to do in 3D. Uh, and then having more kind of puzzly, action-y stuff is easier to pull off mm-hmm. in 2D. Yeah, Yeah, and I think it worked so well. Like, that combination was was brilliant. Because as you say, I don't, I don't find 3D puzzles often that intuitive. <laughs> um, so, and obviously you have that sort of Zelda-like dungeon-esque puzzle system, um, each world, and it was kind of really different. And yeah, I I, I, I loved that combination. And obviously having played Anodyne first previously myself, that was a really nice transition. Because um, even the 2D world is like, it's, it's much prettier than the first game. Um, I thought that the puzzles were a lot cooler and a lot more varied and stuff. So even just that side of it was a lot, um, was a lot different. Um, on the low poly 3D stuff, like, I'm glad that you did go with that. Like, um, like much like Marino, I grew up with PS1 games first. I'm kind of enjoying this very start of a renaissance of that sort of graphical style. We kind of had it before with pixel art games having this big comeback. And, uh, I, I've always hoped that low poly early 3D graphics would have that moment and it seems to start it seems to have started happening. Um dusk and stuff. I'm seeing it a little bit more recently. Um and I don't think I'll get sick of that. (laughs) I'd love to see more of that. Um I especially think survival horror works really well in that graphic style just because I've always found that horror is not a sensible thing it's like disgusting and distorted and it doesn't have to make sense and that just suits low poly so well and that it's it doesn't horrifying things don't look pretty it's just sort of you know that's that's why i think the early resident evil games and silent hill and stuff worked so well is because the low poly stuff actually really suited that um so yeah i, I i'm fully embracing seeing lots more uh low poly games yeah i hope we get more it's I think part of it is because Unity has been really getting u- like usable in the past decade. Um, I think 
My theory is 3D might not be as popular as 2D ever with indies, but only just because the bar of like difficulty is a little bit higher because there is a bit more moving sure. parts. Um, but I do expect that we'll see, there, there'll be a relative change for sure, like in the next decade. Um, just because like sh- like Unity has, well, they have like Shader Graph now, and it's like an easy way for artists to make shaders compared to like years ago where you had to like learn this terrible programming language. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of stuff, but also just like, you know, computers are getting more powerful, so like you can kind of just throw more stuff into a 3D engine and not have to worry about the performance as much. Um, which is what I think is actually like one of the best things about the PS5. Um, I know that like everyone doing the PS5 is like, oh, the SSD. Um, but you know, the computing power, a lot of it is marketing speak, but also, like, it does mean that somebody who can't program all these optimizations, they can just do a lot more stuff and not have to worry about the frame rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's a bit of a uh, digression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting, because for, for even someone like me that is in the industry, I don't pretend to fully understand the hardware side of things and the production side of things. So... Obviously, I look at the PS5 specs and I report on it and I report on all the, the marketing spiel and stuff that they say about how easy it is to develop before and stuff. But I have no experience knowing how true that is or or, or how that experience actually is for a developer. Um, so it's, 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 it's interesting here, it's really from an indie developer, how that development process on, on next-gen consoles um, can be easier. Yeah, I do think that uh, that's true for like the indies, but I feel like if in terms of AAA games trying to get featured on consoles, they be, you can, it's sort of as like as the hardware increases in difficulty, the AAA sector kind of also increases their production methodologies difficulty to match. So like, yeah, now, you know, we have ray tracing and, and SSDs, but that just means now they're going to be putting in even more high definition environments and like. I'm, I'm making a gesture with my hands, but it's kind of like, um, <laughs> you know, they're making development easier, but at the same time, AAA is just going to adapt to make their lives harder for themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I saw that with the Unreal Engine 5 demo. When I was watching that, my immediate oh, reaction yeah. was, holy shit, this is going to be really tough for people to develop for. <laughs> because that sort of demo has now set expectations of what next gen can do. And yeah. then we're already seeing with sort of PS5 and Xbox Series X reveals that people are going, oh, I thought the graphics were going to look next gen. They kind of look just the same. And they're expecting yeah. those Unreal Engine graphics. And it's this 10-minute demo with massive fidelity and huge amount of detail. Um, but it was 10 minutes. <laughs> of course they can do that. Um, it's, I was watching and it was just like, this amount of detail is going to require so many more staff and it's going to require so much more money and time. And yeah. you already have a crunch problem um so it's just whew, i don't know how sustainable that sort of stuff is to be honest um it just seems to be getting bigger, yeah, bigger, bigger. Not, not very sustainable uh, what is the next thing hardware publishers will like say is important in the next generation i'm like it's probably going to be like baking simulations right so we're going to get a bunch of like baking games or something that'll be it it's interesting seeing all the sort of generational trends. Um, so sort of hardware-wise, it's at, at the moment it seems to be ray tracing yeah. and SSD. And uh, gaming trends, I, I think cyberpunk's aesthetics and stuff in general is the next open world. Like that That just seems to... I see... I think the other day I saw 10 different announcement trailers for <laughs> cyberpunk aesthetic games. Um, so that's, oh. that's a thing. Um yeah, it's kind of interesting because when you think about game trends, like since games take a long time to make a lot of the time, like mm. it's hard for uh, them to kind of like stay within broader zeitgeist, I feel like. I don't know. I To me, like cyberpunk, no offense to anyone who's making a cyberpunk game right now, but I feel like it's like... Uh, if anything feels like, I don't know, it just kind of feels like we are living yeah. in the future. 
<laughs> and, and so like cyberpunk feels like kind of in like an old vision of the future uh yeah right now cyberpunk also was it seems to have just become an aesthetic but that was not the mm-hmm. point of of cyberpunk as a genre um mm-hmm. but now it's just this is a cyberpunk game because it looks futuristic and a bit neony um <laughs> that was never really the point of cyberpunk but um but yeah, as you say, the, the games take so long to develop, but they may not necessarily know that there's going to be lots of other games doing it and that a trend's going to be set. Um, I always find it interesting how sort of a lot of casual gamers will see two games come out within the space of a couple of months and go, oh, that copied yeah. the other game. What, the one that released three months ago? Yeah. I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's always interesting to see. Um, I remember that people were saying that about Resident Evil 7. We're like, oh, Resident Evil 7, what a, it's a PT ripoff. A cow, oh. And it was, it was like a year after PT. <laughs> I don't think so. Somehow. I wonder what trains people to like think in terms of comparisons like that. Like something being a ripoff. I mean, you do have to wonder sometimes. Uh, maybe we were all primed by the like era when DreamWorks and Pixar kept doing the same thing. I, I I'm still like confused about whether that was like. I think it was at least kind of intentional. Like somehow they like had had spies or something. <laughs> because DreamWorks and Pixar, when I was growing up, kept doing like same themed movie sets over and over and over. Oh yeah, in my head there was no distinction between the two places. Mm. Which is funny. Yeah, well, yeah, it was like the the Hot Nemo, and then the Shark oh. Tales, and then there was Ants and um, oh, Bugs Life, right. and all all these like pairs. I think I still mix up scenes between yeah. Ants and a Bugs Life in my head. I think those two movies are just blended together. Um, so I don't know, but I guess there's such there's sort of general themes like bugs and the ocean i guess so i guess they can get <laughs> i guess they are responsible for a lot of the graphics techniques that we use in games nowadays so there's that a lot of really smart people at pixar and mm. probably dreamworks too oh yeah yeah i'm sure yeah it's interesting to see the uh the, the crossover between film and games and stuff i mean for me sort of culturally it's so interesting for films to be more accepted in, 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 in mass culture, I guess because it's it's games are still newer. But it's interesting seeing that games as a industry takes in more revenue than the film industry. But yet it's still such a it, it feels like being a gamer and it feels like being in games is such a niche thing still. Um, yeah. Which is stupid <laughs> because it definitely isn't. Um I've kind of I I I've kind of long sort of said that the the term gamer doesn't really have any belonging in in the current age anymore because literally everybody plays video games of some kind um but yeah people cling to it yeah i I think it's it's a strange topic because it is very um it is very confusing when you like think about the the kind of stats but then also like how how like culturally divided things are where um i don't know it just seems like mm, a lot of the people that i meet and interact with are like uh, very much like not i don't know don't see games as having anything to do with their life um and i'm like are you Mm -hmm. playing games but you just don't think about the games you play as being part of the video game world or am i just like happening to meet these mm-hmm. people who are part of the other side of statistics because like in many ways like i uh have increasingly like not really been able to find space like for games in my life and so like i kind of like relate a lot of the time mm-hmm. to to people who uh, are like don't really feel like games are for them that much um I think it's like, yeah, I do feel busier as an adult, and I think, mm, like, sometimes when I hear that from people, I'll ask a bit, and they'll actually be like, well, actually, I have this game on my phone, and so I think it's, in that case, it's more of, like, they don't consider it, like, I guess whatever image they have in their head of gaming is not matching the habit they have, 
but also like I think a lot of I think mm-hmm. if you like to flip it around a bit towards me like I don't really watch TV shows um, or Netflix like at all and I think that could be seen as like odd in some people's eyes and I think it's maybe like just media habits mm-hmm. um, like and how you choose to spend the spare time you have a lot of people will consume like TV shows and movies a lot but like um, so I guess there's that and then maybe they'll play a mobile game in their spare time but that won't be you know they'll, it'll just be something they do on their commute or something to kill time and they won't really think about it as oh how I like to spend my my leisure time um, yeah I do think that there's with other uh, I don't know, like with video-based media and with like t- reading, um, there, there's definitely like a difference in the kind of like maturity of the form in the sense of like uh, the the breadth of like subsections and how much they've gotten like. Uh, like different types of audience invested in all these different strands um, where it's just like become normalized for different people to like be into them in very different ways where people aren't just like, Mm -hmm. like, I don't, I don't watch TV shows. Like, don't talk to me about TV shows. Like, it's like, even if you don't actively watch that much TV shows, you get like, kind of like, are like, well, there are probably like TV shows that I could watch or that I have watched. It's not really a big deal whether I'm into TV yeah. shows or not, you know. Uh, where a lot of the time when I talk about games, like people are like, I like, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't know anything about games. I can't, I can't talk about games. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, like, I, that's all right. Like, don't yeah, worry okay. about it. Like, I kind of don't. I don't. I don't really get games either, but. Uh, you know, you can play them or not. <laughs> it's alright. <laughs> with TV shows, like I like, you know, now and then I'll watch something on Netflix, and like, it's just like the discoverability and breadth there is really good. And in games, it's like, it's hard for someone who's not in it all the time to, to like, do research and find something that'll be really good for them. So. A lot of times, I think someone will probably be like, "Oh, well, look at the top sellers list on Nintendo Switch," um, and you know, if Mario is not for them or something, maybe they won't really play that many games, and that'll be their impression of it. Uh, yeah, so it is definitely like a games are still like it's just it's just not really in the popular mindset of how to find something to play. Um, whereas, like with yeah. books you have goodreads or like yeah well everyone yeah. like can read a book in literate uh countries of literacy rates but yeah and also it's we're we're still recovering i think from marketing strategies yeah. uh like of historical game marketing strategies when uh i i, I feel like i've learned about this in the past but like it used to be that, like, when there were like women in computer science and like doing programming, and then mm-hmm. it kind of like just like shifted marketing strategies to like based on who they thought like would have the disposable income to buy certain things oh, yeah. in certain ways. I'm like forgetting the details, but then this long path where like all the like gaming magazines were very like boys club type situations. Um, In the USA, at least, uh, I don't know about the rest of the world, but like I heard there was something about like marketers tried to make it a very like wide, um, the, the audience, they tried to make it like everyone at first, but then it didn't work out. So marketers switched to like a very focused market approach and they just decided to pick like, uh, like, young boys and that's kind of like what led us to, uh, partially down this path of uh, how games are in some ways or the perception of games is like oh for young boys shooting things 
Yeah, I think, I mean, it even goes back to sort of Sonic, really, with the marketing of Sonic being, oh, he's so cool. Oh, look how cool he is. He's, and it was so male-oriented, even at, at the design point. And then all of the marketing and advertising, you know, it was in comic books, it was in game magazines, and it was so, it was so marketed exclusively for boys. Um, yeah, it just, it just completely, I don't think we've, I don't think we've fully managed to get away from that yet. Um, you know, I think I think there's been polls that suggest that it, it is yeah. it is a a lot more of a split now. Um, but you know, even culturally, we still have this stupid mentality of if if a if a if a woman is 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 playing an online game uh, over microphone, there's a bloody good chance she's going to be harassed by everyone um, just for having a female voice. Um, so I mean, we haven't come away from it. I think a lot of a lot of even people that play video games, um, unfortunately, still have the mindset. Yeah, that it's a male passion. It's a it's a male hobby. Um, yeah, it's a shame. I mean, we're definitely beginning to come away from it, and we're seeing that. Oh, actually, turns out women will play games too. What a, what a surprise! <laughs> what a shock! Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 definitely partially that. And and I mean, as previously as you said, it's it's how people view. If you're sitting at home and you're playing a game on your controller, you're playing a video game, but that flash game you played, that mobile game you played, uh, that LED little game thing you played, that's not a game. That's just a toy. That's not a video game. Um, there's definitely that mentality. Uh, I like pointing out sometimes on, on Twitter and stuff how uh, games like Minion Run or Minion Rush or whatever it's called has like a billion downloads <laughs> and it's this game that no one has ever really heard of and yet it has more people playing it than Tomb Raider <laughs> has ever been played. Yeah. Is that that one where, where you have like a growing crowd of people? Watch it. Watch a Let's Play. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's just loads of mobile games in the sort of top downloaded list that us as gamers can look at and go, I've never heard of this before, but it has 800 million people playing it. Um, <laughs> so it's just, it just proves that yeah. we're kind of in this little bubble and that, you know, those aren't seen as games. These games are like, uh, they're a lot harder than like Anodyne 2. Like I'm looking at this, it's like a arcade game, but for the everyone market. Hmm. Minion well, Rush, it's just a, like a, you can probably imagine it like you run and dodge obstacles. Oh, it's like the Despicable yeah, Me minions. Oh, this is yeah, yeah. This is just uh, Temple Run. Game. Yeah, Temple it's Run. Like a Temple it's Run. Temple Run. run right. Okay. Yeah, but it has like a billion downloads. It's just, it's absolutely absurd hmm. numbers. Um, and then you know these people that play Bejeweled and that sort of stuff. I uh, on my commutes into London, I would see that constantly. I would see just random people that I assumed are not necessarily consider themselves to be gamers sitting playing these very casual sort of puzzle games time wasters on the train um and they may not necessarily identify as as, as gamers so it's yeah it's interesting i think we will we we, yeah. we will be coming away from that sort of thing uh it's 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 easy to forget that games as an industry is still quite young i suppose yeah there's lots of potential yeah interesting um back to anodyne i suppose <laughs> Just completely swing back the topic back to that. Um, I just realised how long we've been recording, so I thought we'd get back onto it. Um, those sort of early 3D games that you were playing and stuff, are there any specific games that influenced uh, Anodyne 2? I, I assume early Zelda games. Um, but are there any specific titles that influenced that? Um, and I So when I was a child, I feel like my... My like kind of like concept of like... <laughs> Mellow's oh, just you're in popped in with me into our Google Doc. That, that is Anodyne 2 Influences. To... <laughs> I just like saw your face appear in the corner. <laughs> um, I, I already had those loaded up for, for you. <laughs> but yeah, when I was when I was a kid, I I thought like basically like the pinnacle of like good video game was like Final Fantasy, like, 7 and 9. Um, mm -hmm. And just in terms of, like, wow, like, this is, like, this, like, huge, like, funny, moving, like, I don't know, beautiful thing. Um, 
that just like has all these like moving parts that creates this whole world. Um, and then I think my other favorite games uh, as a kid were often um, uh, like 3D platformers, like character platformers, like Crash and the Jack and Daxter. Um, but honestly, the the game that like really comes up, I feel like every time we make a game, I mean, we've only made a couple 3D games, but I, I think a lot about Tony Hawk, uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series. Because um, to me, that's oh, okay. like, that's like this ultimate way of, of a, of like a kind of a weird motion mechanic that creates a whole language through these like this kind of like interesting vocabulary of the fact that like oh in this particular series like you're you're kind of like always moving forward and so you're like thinking about space in this different way with your like ability to like grind or whatever and like how it's like kind of like hard to get to certain places based on momentum I don't know I just think that that series is like mm -hmm. so interesting yeah. spatially and also um the way it's like takes uh these kind of like relatable human spaces and like turns them into a completely different like spatial idea than what you usually have walking like around. if you compare tony hawk to like i played a lot of tony hawk growing up as well and like if you, it's you know it is it is a 3d platformer i mean it's sold as skateboarding but like fundamentally it is like a 3d platformer just with a different set of like like lineage or dna almost like a lot of games they kind of take as a fundamental starting point like mario 64 and they'll adapt those little combat move set they'll have a very maximalist like way of moving around but tony hawks like marina says that the limitations make it i don't know really interesting and for our current game marina is referencing a bit of a lot of tony hawk and how, kind of how to design the core moveset we're working on a 3d platformer right now and i think it is um there's a lot of like cool stuff you can do with 3d space and platforming but you sort of have to like think at it from different directions not just like Mario. I mean, Mario is useful, right? But it's like, um, you know, there's other ways to go about it. And Tony Hawk kind of like is a early idea of that. Yeah, I love those games. Um, That's interesting, Willie, because I suppose developers see because that question, sort of, what are your inspirations, is such a it's 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 historically quite a dull question. Um, but it's but it's interesting because obviously you you have these. It's, it's such a unique game with lots of different things in it. But it's interesting always to hear a developer's perspective on that because what we, people like me as journalists and, and players and stuff, what we would see as the inspiration of the games. Like I would never have thought you would have said Tony Hawk. But, you know, I would have thought of like, oh, it's, you know, these early, these early low poly games and Zelda and stuff. But it is interesting that you say Tony Hawk because I can, I can kind of see that in the movement and I can kind of understand your perspective in saying that it's, it's effectively a 3D platformer but with, with a different movement set. Um, which is kind of an int a very interesting way of looking at it. Um, um, other games? Yeah. Anodyne 2 3D influences. I'm looking at my list. I guess Zelda. Zelda. I, I, mm. Okay, so Zelda is mm -hmm. like Ocarina of Time. It, I think it inevitably is an influence, but not in like the way that we might think of it as like a quest or like stuff to grab. Um, I think it was kind of a reference for like environment scale and maybe like the ways the areas connect. Um, it's kind of hard to explain. Uh, it's like there's no right. dungeons or anything. If anything, Zelda 64 is kind of like an anti-example for dungeons because <laughs> uh, Marina and I don't really like Zelda 64 dungeons. Um, mm -hmm. And so... <laughs> Uh, it was kind of like, well, we're not going to do this in 3D. We'll do it in 2D. Um, Certainly Shadow of the Colossus is a 3D influence, um, uh, especially with like uh, the 
turning into a car aspect, playing a similar role to the uh, mm -hmm. horse, where it's like, we have, you can make, when you have the ability to like, go a lot faster and then like, go a lot slower, you can like, think of space really differently, where it's not, it, it can like, feel less like the space is built entirely around your moveset, as it generally does in a lot of like, character 3D uh, action platformers um, because it's like oh there could just be a huge empty space and like there's a kind of natural uh, more like hiking-y feel to when the space uh, could or could not be interesting to you at any given point and you have to like kind of decide like oh I guess like maybe something's happening over here because there's like a kind of density of visual interest um, and so I'm going to like hop out of car mode here. Yeah. There's like other stuff too. Like cool. a previous game I made all our Asia's. Um, have you seen that? It's very like lo-fi mm -hmm. place. Yeah. PlayStation A 3d. And that was me responding to another game. Um, well, Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne, not just that, but I'll, have you heard of Oikospiel? Uh, it's this game by a composer, David Kanaga, he composed for Proteus, is what he's most well known for, but he's actually pretty prolific. Um, and he made this, ah, yeah, he made this game in 3D. Uh, it's it's a 3D adventure game, but it's really like an understatement. But anyways, it does a lot of experimental stuff, and I played it at the beginning of 2017, and I was kind of inspired to like be like, whoa, I could make a 3D game too. Um, and then I made All Our Asia's, uh, and it's. I think that's kind of a deep influence for Anodyne 2 in a way. It's sort of just this game that is very playful with 3D space and camera angles, and it doesn't care that much about polish. It's more about, like, what are all the different ideas I can do? And it, it did stuff like... It, it like, ripped Kokiri Village from Ocarina of Time and just put it into a level, and it used that as, like, one point of focus for part of the game. Like, there's a point where you're just, like, running around a music score and, like, it will play notes as you walk across the notes. Um, there's, like, a giant protest of animals that you can walk through. It's <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's a very eclectic game, and, uh, yeah, it, it kind of just shows how accessible 3D has become, and I think that was a big motivation for feeling confident enough to make 3D games. Cool. I will have to check that out because um, I've, I've clicked the link that you sent and uh, and oh, yeah, you're speaking about it. That it is interesting. Like my jam. <laughs> I, I will have to check that game out. Um, um, I was going to, I, I sort of ummed and ahed about bringing up the story in this because there are going to be a lot of people that listen to this that simply haven't played Anodyne 2 before. Um, so I won't, I, I won't go into it too much, but I, I, I've, I've seen a lot of videos online of people sort of trying to in, to um, explain the story and uh, explain the meanings of it and stuff. And I've kind of done that myself. And I was just wondering if for you that has like a canonical meaning and, a, and an end and a start and a beginning and an end and stuff, or if it is kind of a bit more open to interpretation. I think, um, well, I haven't really talked about the ending, but I think people tend to get tripped up on the spoiler, the desert NPC and the meta meta coin stuff and the post game stuff. And what yeah. I usually tell people is that um, Anodyne's kind of like fabric of canonicalness is it goes between canonical and like there's probably a literary term, but I just say gray canon. It's like stuff that you can interpret it as part of the story if you want, but like um, it's sort of something we just. Mm, I don't know. I think Marina should talk about like the in terms of like shifting between canonical story and like stuff like the post game and desert NPC. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think especially like compared to Anodyne One, we were intentional about there being a pretty like relatively straightforward through line of like what the what the plot is kind of like the stuff that happens and the kind of emotional arc of that and um so i feel like the the main the main arc of the plot is uh i don't know like it kind of is what it feels like <laughs> whatever that ends up being uh it's not right. I, I don't think it's right. like 
uh, like a a trick sort of, or I don't know, that has a negative connotation, but I don't think it's like, um, uh, there's not like a really big gotcha to it. Uh, again, negative connotation, like it wouldn't mm -hmm. be negative if there was necessarily, but, but the core I think is fairly straightforward. And then the surrounding more confusing stuff is, um, I don't, I don't feel that like we as developers like hold it to be a really clear, straightforward thing in how it relates to the more straightforward stuff. Um, it's kind of intentionally a, a space mm -hmm. of play and exploration. Yeah, it's just like cool messing around with the medium. Yeah, I mean that's kind of that's kind of how I felt about it. But it was it was interesting for me to to sort of see on YouTube people as you mentioned that there's an NPC specific like what does this mean? This must mean this, and um, I didn't really get that myself. So I thought I thought it was kind of an interesting. Oh yeah, like I think yeah, I think um, in general what we would like to encourage with our work is just the idea that um, you know the creating a game we obviously have stuff we think a lot about and and like make very intentional, but Sometimes, you know, like we thought a lot about the desert NPC like idea, but in terms of connecting that to the story, we're you know there's a certain point, like a certain set of things that it's just like, well, let's not, you know, if we try to connect it in some way, it's just gonna be kind of like forced and weird, and it's nicer and works better to just have it be like loosely related, and people can kind of form their own associations, and that's also that's kind of why a lot of anodyne. One has been powerful for some people, despite that game being like much looser. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's like when you have stuff that is not totally canonical, it also creates space for people to like create their own interpretations, and I think that can mm -hmm. increase their level of investment and like connection to the game. But also, yeah, keeps games magic too. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I'm I'm super looking forward to whatever you're working on next. Um, what I'm sure, whenever you reveal it, it will instantly become my uh, most anticipated game. Um, like seriously, I enjoyed Anodyne two that much that I'm I'm just I am very much looking forward to Thank whatever you. you guys are working on. Yeah, no problem. Um, do you want to tell people um, where they can find you, where they can find your games, that sort of thing? Yeah, you can find. Uh... Let's see, what's the easiest way? Um, best way is actually just to go to our website, analgesic.productions. Uh, it has links to our Twitter, to our games, to uh, recent articles in the news. I don't know why I mentioned that. Um, <laughs> just random articles. But, um, nothing related to our games. We, have a we just use it yeah. for that. Just, just to keep, keep notes. Um, Baking recipes, uh, and um, we have a Discord server actually. That's a great place to come ask us questions. Um, Discord.com/analgesic, A-N-A-L-G-E-S-I-C. Uh, you can come ask us questions or post fan art. Um, Marina and I are also both on uh, the Twitter. Mm -hmm. I'm. You can just search our names based on what. The podcast, uh, you know, Melos Hantani, Marina Kitaka, uh, and you can, I guess, well, I tweet only business. I, I don't know. Yes, if you want to follow us, I have a Twitter that I just like complain about stuff on. It's public, and then I have a Twitter that I only post <laughs> game stuff on. So pick your poison. Do you want to see the complaining? Do you want to see the games? Personally, yeah. I want to see both. I want to see both. Um, I'll, I'll link all of that in the description. So if people want to go and check you guys out, they could do so. Um, but yeah, thank yeah. you again so much for coming on this. Um, I can't overstate how much I love your game. Um, thank you. I still need to go back and play um, Even the Ocean, which I must remember to do. Um, and yeah, super looking forward to whatever you guys are working on. Um, it was awesome to speak to you. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Um, and we will catch everyone later. Bye. This podcast is supported by Patreon. You can support it at patreon.com slash toadsanimator. Listen to the next episode before it releases.